This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. Up today, Slack VP of North America Sales, Kevin Egan, and Slack Senior Director of Sales, Danny Herzberg. My name is Kevin Egan. I manage North America Sales for Slack, and I'm joined by my colleague, Danny Herzberg, who runs Midmarket Sales and our sales development team. Uh, we're here to talk for the next 25 minutes or so about our experience going from freemium to enterprise. We kept it fairly uh, vague, if you will, uh, but we're going to be really focused on the go-to-market elements of the freemium to enterprise model. Our hope is that in this time we can you know, share a couple of uh, you know, key learnings, some non-obvious advice, some anecdotes that you guys can take back with you to your own companies as you plan your own bold sales strategies. We will... Uh, you know, really be focused on one, one big framework. I, I've been in technology sales for 20 years. I uh, joined uh, Oracle in 1995. You see other folks from, from the Oracle population or for the crew at that time. Uh, really focus on the biggest kind of shift that I've seen in the last 20 years, and that's the shift between buyer and seller. Uh, in the 90s, you know, when we were selling Oracle, I was a solutions engineer, and our sales team held all the information, kind of an irrational amount of power in that dynamic. Uh, we had all the product information and white papers. We had the technology, the software itself. We had all the pricing information. We had all the kind of techniques for integrations and so forth. And the buyer had to go through a tremendous amount of you know, work and process to just even get their hands on the technology itself. The clicker fail. Uh, so following uh, a few five years at, at Oracle, I was lucky to land at Salesforce.com in 2002. Uh, in that time, I think... Obviously, Salesforce is, without Salesforce, it was a, a fundamental driver for cloud computing. And all of us in this room today, it had something to do with kind of this massive shift going on. Uh, being at Salesforce was, was fantastic because you had the air cover of Mark Benioff kind of, you know, leading this incredible message. We had a lot of work to do in educating the market be below that kind of air cover. Um, one thing as a salesperson at Salesforce.com in 2002 and beyond that I don't really think we... We appreciate at the time, to the extent that we should have, was this concept of a free trial. The Salesforce trial was a 30-day trial, up to five users, but the sales rep could toggle it up to 20 users, however many users they wanted, and really put the technology in the hands of the user. And that was like the key differentiator from Siebel at the time and anybody else out there. So as we talk about the freemium model, it's kind of interesting to look back and say, I got to give Mark Benioff some credit for that. What was interesting about that motion was the sales reps that did really well in that phase of, of the company were the ones that could get into the technology with the buyer, understand what the buyer's needs were, and actually get into a trial environment, you know, hands-on keyboard and help do things like customize uh, the Salesforce instance, add users to the instance, set up some permissions, add custom fields, float those custom fields up into reports that would provide business insights. So it was like this shift of, a, of a, a seller moving from somebody who held all the cards to somebody who actually had to dive in with the buyer. And that was a great shift. And we'll, uh, we're seeing that you know, just continue on today. Uh, following 10 years at Salesforce, I joined uh, Dropbox for four years. And that was an amazing experience because that was the same similar concept, but coming from the consumer world. right? I joined in 2013. There was 100 million 
people had signed up for Dropbox, the virality model we all know well is you know, really delivering value to an end user and a consumer for, for no charge, right? And, until they ran into a uh, space limit or what have you. That was starting to permeate into the enterprise and it was a, a fantastic four years there, understanding how do we take a B2C technology that's delivering value that's permeating the enterprise and to what level can we go into the enterprise and what does that sales motion look like? So we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then of course, uh, last two years have been at Slack working with Danny, fantastic uh, opportunity there and really one where you know we, we, did, we did not come from that consumer orientation, but we did take a lot of that similar concepts of end user love, driving virality, but we're focused on a business user. That has informed how we go to market and we're gonna talk a little bit today about from premium to enterprise, how do we apply different motions to different segments in a model where ultimately that, that dynamic between seller and buyer has completely changed and the buyer really, it's a buyer centric model. So we're excited to talk to you about that today. Danny, over to you. All right. So I want to take this concept that Kevin just introduced of shifting from a seller-centric universe where the seller holds the keys to the kingdom to a buyer-centric universe and giving it away a little bit. But there's one mantra that we use at Slack that has been our North Star that's helped us operate in this buyer-centric universe and do so, I think, with great success. And the mantra is seek to create value not to extract value. So say it again, seek to create value, not extract value, which to most sales professionals I think is not super intuitive. Like you think of a salesperson and you think upsell as much as you can, extract as much value as possible, figure out what they have budget for and then charge them that. That's not our model. And when I thought about other iconic, very successful B2B SaaS companies out there, including HubSpot, where I used to work for the past six years before Slack, I realized that this is kind of a theme, whether people know it or not, that great companies embrace in order to do a great job of earning goodwill and loyalty from their buyer and then delivering into a great business model. So let me go through two examples with you. I'll take the ones that I know best. Let's start with HubSpot. And again, we're going into a buyer-centric universe here, so we're putting our buyer hat on. Who is the buyer at HubSpot? It's a small business owner. They are not a professional marketer, but they need to use their website for marketing. They are doing their best to achieve their growth goals and juggling a bunch of stuff at once. And they are just entering into the digital era as they figure out kind of like how to handle lead gen while working on a lot of other things in their business. So HubSpot recognizes that that's what the small business owner is thinking, or that's what they're marketing leader is thinking, and they meet them where they are in the buyer journey. They focus on that buyer. So what did they do to create value for them? The HubSpot approach, and this was before HubSpot had a solid freemium model, which has now propelled the company, in its early days was to focus on sales and marketing as a way to meet the buyer where they are. So in marketing, I would say the company did two brilliant things, and you can think of what your own version is going to be at your company. But the first brilliant thing they did was they created a tool called the Website Grader. And the Website Grader is totally free. Anyone can use it on the internet. You run your website through it, and it gives you a couple suggestions about what you can tweak here and there to engage more traffic on your website or convert that traffic into leads. And the beauty of the Website Grader was that it wasn't like this thinly veiled salesy thing that was obviously touting the HubSpot software and required the HubSpot software to make any of the fixes. It was like giving you some tips that you could improve on your WordPress site if you're a small business owner. 
and you could walk away with something tangible. Even more so when the company built its channel program, the website grader would be used tens of times by marketing agencies who would use it to look really good or create some pain points with their prospective customers. And so by the time HubSpot sales uh, ended up meeting that buyer, they had produced so much goodwill because they offered this free tool uh, that they had been utilizing to help them without even paying dime for the software. So that's part number one. Part number two is they coupled that with this content gen machine. So the blog there, in its earliest days, I would say we were producing maybe a couple articles every single week. Over time, it was a couple articles a day. And every one of those articles was anticipating questions that their buyer has about how to market their business. And then writing a pithy, you know, five-step article about how to address that question. How do I set up a webinar for the very first time? How do I attract more leads through my website? How do I market myself as a uh, financial services company? Whatever the keywords were, HubSpot showed up number one on Google with content answering that question. So what happened is, like I said, they built up all this goodwill. And by the time a sales force was put into action to engage with some of these prospects and turn them into true leads, it would be like they're picking up the phone and they're talking to a celebrity when they talk to HubSpot. Because they're like, oh my God, HubSpot, you've been nurturing me. You've been giving me all this free content. So nice to finally meet you. Like HubSpot's a person. And it made for a really uh, nice go-to-market model. And then the unique thing about the sales reps that were hired there is that your first two weeks in sales are not learning Sandler sales method. They're not learning pricing negotiation or anything like that. The first two week in sales, weeks in sales, if you are focused on becoming an extension of the marketing engine that's already built this goodwill with the buyer, is all about learning how to become an inbound marketing expert. So literally every sales rep spent two full weeks in a classroom building their own website, understanding what it feels like to be in a small business owner's shoes. And then the sales process would take three, four, up to five calls before you connect the dots between HubSpot's actual product that someone has to pay for and what they learned about how this prospect could improve their marketing. So that's a great example of creating value rather than extracting it. And over time, it leads to a really healthy business model as well. So now let's go to Slack, totally different buyer. Hard to put this buyer end user in a box, but I would say in our earliest days, uh, the buyer is just totally different from the HubSpot one. It's a super technical person. She may be running her own uh, tech startup and she may be looking for a better way to collaborate, ship product faster, communicate better across geographies, et cetera. Or she might be leading a tech team within a slightly bigger organization and still trying to figure out how to tackle those same challenges. And then I'm putting this buyer hat on. What does she want? Like, how does she want to vet out a solution? Does she want to go to a webinar? Does she want to read a blog? No. She's a technical buyer. She wants to get her hands on the product and she wants to try it for herself because she can vet it out. She can see whether it fits. She can see if it plugs into Jira and Jenkins and Bitbucket or GitHub and then figure out whether this is going to add value quickly. So what the early Slack team did very elegantly with Stuart's leadership is design a product that is so intuitive and so frictionless to sign up for that it can add value from the get-go. And a super technical buyer, like the one that we knew we were targeting from the early days, could get what they wanted without having to talk to a single human 
in the meantime. If she wanted to talk to a human, we had a fully staffed customer experience team, so there was plenty of love to go around. She could, but she could buy the way that she wanted to buy, use it, and the value creation really came in this free part of the freemium model with Slack. So what happened is the product that was built was so good and free and continues to be so good in its free version that you can use it for months as a startup. You could probably use it for years as a startup if you're not on an extremely high growth inflection point and get all the value that you need out of it. So by the time it does make sense to pay, if it ever ends up making sense to pay for Slack, you kind of, you're grateful for what you've gotten so far and you appreciate what you've gotten. And again, that, that goodwill has been built up and it makes the rest of the conversation much easier. So the question I would be thinking if I were you is why are Danny and Kevin on stage with sales in their title if this beautiful product sells itself and that's all you need? I think in a buyer-centric world, you need to be aware of all of the different buyers and all the different stages of their journey. So at certain stages of a buyer's journey, they do actually get to a point where they want to talk to a go-to-market person about uh, one of a number of topics. So common topics would be uh, security, and sometimes you just want to talk to another person about what your specific requirements are given your industry or your world you plan, and you want that person to really uh, help you feel rest assured that their product meets your boxes. So that's one bucket. Another one could be legal, talking to a general counsel or talking through commercials. And a third bucket is actually guides how we've built our sales development program here. So when we were thinking about building a go-to-market playbook for uh, specifically with BDR, SDR program in mind, it was a little tricky because we think, first, what can't we answer through a machine? What can't the product answer on its own? Whenever possible, we want it to do that. And then second, if we want to reach people in mass, what can't we do with a push of a button in a marketing automation system if that was our style for reaching out to people? So we thought about what is uniquely human? When do you actually need a person to reach out and engage in a way, again, that seeks to create value rather than extract value? And what we realized is a lot of the time at a really big company, you might see momentum in little pockets of the organization. You might see free teams popping up all over a Fortune 100 company. And so what a BDR would do is they'd identify those free teams, perhaps a few other teams that look like they could be good candidates for collaborating on Slack but aren't. They call them, they engage with them, and then they end up having a user interview where they figure out what hurts, what drove them to Slack, what feels good about using Slack, and what could we do to help them as they think about collaborating even more smoothly across their whole org. And what we do then is we synthesize those interviews. Let's say you have four across this whole organization. You come up with the high-level themes, and then you send that up to the CIO of that same organization. And guess what you've done? You've created value. You literally get a thank you in response to that email because the CIO now knows what's happening on his or her front lines and now has surfaced some themes that they don't have the time or bandwidth to figure out on their own. So that's yet another way that you can apply a go-to-market playbook here that's particularly valuable. The timing, though, in a freemium SaaS company, and certainly at Slack, as you can see from the headline behind me, is totally dependent on what your buyer needs from you, when they need it, and what market you're serving. So Kevin's going to focus on the enterprise market, upmarket, but my world is really thinking about 
down market. When does and when doesn't it make sense to staff a go-to market org? And who are the kind of people that we want to hire to meet the buyer where they are at this much more sophisticated place? Like they've used your product. They might know it better than you. They might have an integration installed that you've never even worked with before. So we need to hire the kind of sales professional who hasn't necessarily sold at Oracle for 20 years, uh, but it's someone who is obsessed with the Slack product and just wants to meet our buyer and completely geek out about what it means to use it and also help them with some of the concerns that I was talking about earlier, bringing the right people around the table, facilitating that conversation in a trustworthy way and teaching them new ways they can use it even beyond what they've done. So that's kind of the hiring profile that we've gone after and it's evolved over time. So early days we had an accounts team and the accounts team would work out of Zendesk, not Salesforce. So it was almost like an extension of customer support. And they would talk to a dentist office and the CIO of a Fortune 100 company in the same day. And they would have a pre-sales conversation and a post-sales conversation in the same exact day. And their job was basically just to figure out what are customers asking about and then feed that information back to the product team so that we can more intuitively answer those questions. And over time, what we realized, and, and here's where Kevin stepped in and, and Bob, who's also leading the sales org, stepped in, and they realized, you know, our buyers had gotten so sophisticated and their needs were so diverse and varied that we started needing to specialize in terms of how we have the conversation with them if we really wanted to treat them in the way they wanted to be treated wherever they are in their journey. So the way we specialized is we segmented, so SMB originally, enterprise, large enterprise. So, you know, treat a Fortune 100 buyer, anticipate their questions uh, very differently than you anticipate the questions of a small but growing startup. And then the second thing we did was we specialized by function. Pretty natural, right? Pre-sales, post-sales, solutions engineering, et cetera. And suddenly we could speak the buyer's language much better. So the last lesson I want to leave you with was, I think what felt like a risky move that, that Kevin and I thought through exactly a year ago today when we implemented it. And it was thinking through, okay, once you've segmented once, how do you segment again and again so that you are constantly challenging yourself to speak the buyer's language and staff a finite go-to-market team in the right way uh, that creates the most value on the customer side and also um, yields the most business value on your end. And so... I think I mentioned this earlier, but I, when I was hired on, I hired on to uh, lead an SMB team that was newly formed. And they covered companies from one to 500 employees. And the first thing that I did was I flew out to Vancouver where that team was initially uh, established. And I did kind of like a listening tour. And I asked the reps, what are the kinds of questions that you get all the time? How do you spend your day? And the first thing that I learned was that the questions were super consistent. And that some of the questions really far down market were the most consistent. And so we come back and we're talking. And meanwhile, up market, there are much meatier, juicier conversations, much more nuanced. And most companies, you know, by the time you hit like 450 employees, there's a very different process in place for making a big software decision, especially one that has to do with how you're going to communicate across an entire org. So like you have two ends of the spectrum, two very different ways to spend your day. And so at this point, we started thinking, okay, how do our peers, staff, go-to market teams down market in the SMB? And we saw a really wide array of examples there. So we saw Box on one end. Box has, I think, a sales team that staffs, 
even, you know, 25 employee company can talk to a sales rep and engage. And those people are on quota and that's a full team right there. And then on the extreme, on the other side of the spectrum is Atlassian, which is essentially no salespeople selling all the way up to the Fortune 100. And so we go back to this buyer-centric journey. We put that hat on and we say, okay, who's our buyer? I mean, it's kind of both. Like, it's the box world. It's the CIO who likes this tops-down sales-heavy approach. And then it's also the technical buyer who I was talking about earlier, which is very much the Atlassian one. So what we went back and looked at was, okay, what can product answer systematically? What do we want product and marketing to be on the hook for that a human doesn't necessarily need to do? And in fact, the buyer doesn't really want to engage with a human to ask the same questions over and over. And what we decided to do was completely shift the SMB team up market, turn them into a mid-market organization, work super closely with our, our counterparts on the product growth team and the marketing team, to figure out how do we systematically build the kinds of questions, the answers to the kind of questions we were getting into the product onboarding process to give the buyer what they want? And then how do we pay extra attention to these buyers up market who really, really need an individual um, to handhold them through the process a little bit more and use our time even better? And the calculus worked out. I think like the result was that we end up having very happy mid-market buyers who get the attention they deserve and an equally happy customer base of SMBs, our original bread and butter, who are now even more intuitively using the product and getting human support from our support team and from one smaller portion of our sales team when they need it. So as you guys leave this room, I urge you to think about uh, when it comes to specialization and segmentation, first of all, don't just do it once and then set it and forget it. I would Go back, use kind of your, your annual planning process to rethink whether you're applying the right headcount in the right way. And also acknowledge that you have a finite amount of resources that you probably want to put into your go-to-market motion. So think, where does the buyer want you to put those in order to create the most value for them and yield the best value to your business too? Uh, with that, we're going to wrap. It's been a pleasure speaking with you guys. Thank you. Yeah.